0: Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
1: Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Our guest in this episode has just been recognised in the Western Australian of the Year Award, specifically in the business category. She doesn't come from... The resources sector or the financial sector or construction or property. She actually comes from the screen industry, which is perhaps uh, not one that uh, people know a great deal about and don't appreciate just how big it is here in Western Australia. She's been in the business uh, for a few decades now. Uh, she can do it all. She can direct, write, produce, and I'm guessing lots of the other jobs that also need to be need to get done to take a a story and a concept uh, to the screen for all of us to enjoy. Uh, So looking forward to hearing all about uh, the career, the life uh, and the industry uh, with Julia Redwood. Hello, Julia. How How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for coming in. My pleasure. Firstly, congratulations on your award, the Business Award and the Western Australian of the Year. How does that title sit with you? Well,
2: um, thank you. It was a it was a huge surprise. It was an absolute delight. I was over the moon, um, and I was delighted actually for the screen industry because I think people think of the screen as arts culture, Mm. Um, but we're also a business. We're called an industry, the screen industry, and that's because we are um, we actually create new jobs and lots of them. We're very a labor intense industry. And, you know, feature films can be worth, you know, make millions and millions of dollars and uh, take millions and millions of dollars to make. Um, Even documentaries, that's my field, is the factual area, Um, big series. Um, cost a lot of money. Mm. Um, an hour of television costs a lot of money. It's very labour intensive. So we're actually very suited for the business side of life and I just thought that was that was great to be recognised for our, for our industry to be recognised in that way.
1: How's the level of understanding do you think in the Western Australian community about just how much Goes on here in the screen industry?
2: I think it's quite small, unfortunately. And I think, um, I don't know why that is. Um, uh, maybe we haven't been great at getting that message out uh, that the screen industry's really growing here. I've been doing this, um, you said several decades. Um, <laughs> yes, well, not, I noticed that your
1: production company, Prosper Productions, uh, started. Exactly 30 years ago. Yes, that's More true. or less. Yes, yeah. I was very <laughs> so, young.
2: I was very, very young.
1: That's side. where my maths came <laughs> from. <laughs> that's right.
2: So I've seen it grow, this yeah. industry, from literally an acorn. It was tiny. Um, there were maybe uh, two or three production companies uh, not doing very much, Um Uh, one doing sort of a feature film, the occasional feature film and children's drama, and then the other maybe one hour or two hours of uh, television um, a year, which isn't much. Mm. Now we have... Oh, I know of you know half a dozen production companies, um, factual pr- production companies, who are in consistent production, which yeah. is which is the the aim. You really yeah. want to be uh, making shows all the time, uh, not stop start. And fe- feature films now, um, I mean, Screen West is our big uh, g- uh, government agency, um, and they help invest in in those films and get them up, get them going. Um, they're doing a, a fantastic job in in pumping in um, dollars to create feature films here, mm. and kids' drama. There's lots of kids' drama happening. And, of course, the factual industry has been, really has been the bedrock of our WA industry. And the public probably don't know. I, I don't know much what they know. but um, And is I, that
1: because a lot of those shows um, are, you know, something that fascinates audiences around the world, but, you know, they're set in places that we, you know, see more often and perhaps take for granted? Yeah, and
2: maybe, and maybe we just don't realize the quality that we have here yeah. i mean there are uh, we, we make we make a show called um, outback truckers
1: yeah
2: um another one called outback opal hunters and these are national and international shows so they're seen all over the world I don't know how many people know that they're actually made in Fremantle mm. um, we make them all over the country of course the, the crews are going out uh, on the road with the truckers or, or out with the uh, into the opal fields but the actual production companies based in Fremantle and most of our crew most of the people um, are here yeah. in WA so we've got 30 years uh, a lot of the, the my uh, fellow production companies have all grown up together So you've got 30 years each production company um, with a lot of experience um, and that also includes International relationships because those are key. So we sell our ideas to um, the likes of Discovery and National Geographic, etc., BBC, Channel Four, and those are key relationships um, because we can't do it all um, out of Australia. Mm. Unfortunately, we're still a small market relatively, so we do need the the US and the UK to come on board on, on our our series to yeah. get them up.
1: I'm I'm curious to know how. You take an idea and get it to screens, not just in Australia but around the world. Let's take Outback Truckers, yeah. for instance, and I can see the novelty value in it. Perhaps you know this extreme landscape and some pretty colourful and extreme characters uh, that tell the stories along the way. But how do you go from, you know, I don't know if someone pitched that idea to you, but taking it from that, oh yeah, that that sounds like it might be something we could invest our time and resources in, and then it ends up on streaming services and, and and platforms, you know, the likes of which you've just mentioned, all around the world. How, how does that happen?
2: Um, well, that's a great question. Um, sometimes I don't know how <laughs> it happens, but the way it happened for the Outback Truckers, it actually took us four years yeah. to get that show up. Yeah. Um, and we started with an idea thinking uh, we wanted to show off the Outback. Yeah. We wanted um, a blue-collar show so that that showed off working class people in their workplace uh, because we hadn't seen that really in Australia. Uh, we hadn't really seen a lot of the outback um, job. activities Mm. Uh, and at that time that was what the market the international market was looking for was sort of you know men largely real real people yeah real people in in real jobs yeah that's what the market was but interesting jobs interesting jobs yeah (laughs) a little bit dangerous you know edgy edgy characters edgy jobs um and that just struck us that yeah you know look at these truck drivers and the length of the triple train, they're like 53 metres for, for a triple. Um, the distances that people travel, ridiculous. Yeah, Got to make a great show out of that.
1: And, and so what do you just pick up the phone and to um, international distributors or whatever you call them and say, you, yeah, what do you think of this?
2: Uh, you have to have relationships, so you yeah. have to keep knocking on doors. And if you don't have those relationships, you try and make those relationships through conferences or markets and literally – not you know have to knock down doors basically and put your you know thrust out a hand and have a handshake and buy them a drink at the bar etc. Mm. Uh, normally for factual, we would have a, a one page flyer at a market. Say we uh, have a meeting. Uh, you have a, a meeting with a commissioning editor, as they're called. You show them a, a one page flyer. You give them the pitch. and You might have ten minutes with them to pitch the idea, uh, so you've got to have lots of enthusiasm for the idea, obviously. Uh, then if they're keen on it, they might say, okay, show, show me some more. I want to, uh, let me see a treatment uh, for instance. And a treatment is the idea fleshed out. Mm. Um, so maybe a document of eight sort of eight to ten pages. But also these days, everybody wants what they call a sizzle reel or a taster tape. And that really sh- is a promo, if you like, for mm. the series. So you've got to have your ca- talent, your cast, your, your characters, and the concept of the idea. And you've got to go and shoot that and put it together in sort of yeah. a, a really tasty three minutes um, that really shows the the broadcaster the idea and that will probably sell your idea yeah. better than anything.
1: And, and does does Australia have that kind of uh, no, I don't want to say novelty value but that you know that quirk value that Huge. international yeah. audiences are looking Absolutely. for?
2: Absolutely. They they love the outback, yeah. the outback characters, uh, the personality of the outback, the, the physically, just the landscape is just extraordinary for most places, Yeah. Uh, especially northern Europe. Can you imagine in the middle of winter and you suddenly see the, you know, it's sunny and it's it's dramatic. Um, Germany loves the outback. Really? Uh, yep, they love it.
1: It's funny, isn't it? Where stories from the other side of the world find a, a home, isn't it?
2: And that's where the wonderful thing about screen and tourism really collide actually Um, and here in Western Australia, I think we can do a better job at putting together our screen industry and the tourism industry because there's so it much synergy. It seems no-brainer, doesn't so it? A no-brainer, absolutely. Yeah. That those two um, industries can combine, and we we can help sell WA to the world, which we do anyway. But if you did it in a more strategic way, I bet you you get people jumping on on planes to come and visit here because this is otherworldly. Mm. So it's exotic. Mm. Um, it's 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 uh dangerous but in a in a in an exciting way
1: yeah there must be some other ideas and concepts uh that you have come across in your time yeah but i'm not telling you that no (laughs) (laughs) but have there been any where you've gone oh this is a guaranteed winner and, yeah, and for those, some reason it, no, it hasn't ones, hasn't oh, got there.
2: I never. I've learnt to say it's a no-brainer. Yeah, because when I've said that about an idea, I never get it up. <laughs> so I've always you
1: avoid got, it. Yeah, it's a bogey I, phrase. That's
2: totally. So yeah. I'll never say that even when I think something's a no-brainer. It's no, no. This is going to be hard.
1: Is it hard to let that, those ideas go though, when you're so sure that it's going to be a winner?
2: Uh, well, like as I say, it took. Outback Truckers four years yeah. to get that up and that was just kept on knocking on the door and it was about timing at the end of the day yeah. and ironically it was Australia um, the The last part of the deal actually came from Australia and it was because Seven Mate um, uh, had just started uh, as a channel and it was exactly the sort of show that they wanted needed yeah. whereas the rest of the networks at that time didn't need a, a series about Outback Trucking Um, But it was the, again, it was about timing. Yeah. And we've had a a wonderful relationship with Seven Mate. Yeah. For nine years.
1: Excellent. And still going. Uh, Julie, we need to take a break. But uh, after that, I want to explore where the love of of, of Screen came for you. Obviously, I've... Put my detective hat on and worked out that you are from (laughs) from the northern hemisphere yourself so uh, keen to know where it all started uh, with you julia we'll get into that right after we take a break this is inspiring stories julia redwood is our special guest back with more in a moment
0: you're listening to inspiring stories for bowra and oday don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
1: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Everyone has a story to tell. This one is brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Do you know I'm sort of obliged to read that, Julia, but that kind of fits into your whole business model, doesn't it? Everyone has a story to tell.
2: Oh, as soon as you said that, um, I went, I'm fascinated. I'd yeah. love to know more about that business and I've always <laughs> wanted to do something. They've do been not. a fantastic
1: I'm, supporter of this program. Well, i so. sure they, they
2: deserve <laughs> it. I know I'd love to do something on, on Undertaker's. I've always thought it was a fascinating part is, of life. Yeah. Had, you know, a very difficult job.
1: What's it like as someone who has to probably consume a lot of screen time, big and small screen, uh, and you've just got these ideas bouncing around in your head, your radars are always on. Are you actually able to sit down and just absorb something and take it in as a piece of pure entertainment?
2: I don't think I do. I think I'm always looking at it, I always deconstruct even a a feature film or or a a drama series. Mm. I think I'm always looking at it as a piece of... Uh, work as a, a piece of fil- filmic work, um, but I enjoy that. I think that's what I studied. I, I enjoy mm. deconstructing the work, and oh, how did they do that? That's great. That was a mm. fantastic shot. Oh my god, that edit was beautiful. Oh wow, that story structure, fantastic. Yeah. Because I'm always learning. I'm learning my craft every every day. So I I just constantly want to get better at yeah. my craft. Um, so I'm always impressed with other people's work, yeah. uh, and always want to try and improve our work too. Mm.
1: Couldn't help but notice that you have a British accent. Is that right? Yeah. Ah. <laughs> Um, unless, you're, will, unless you're acting right now. My mother will be pleased. <laughs> you've still got it. I know you've been here for a long time, but uh, tell us about your early years uh, growing up in the UK and where you fell in love with the screen.
2: Um, I grew up in Cornwall, yeah. uh, the southwest of uh, England, which is a beautiful, beautiful, part, of, beautiful part of the, of the country. Of England. I was so lucky to grow up there. Um, and I went to university uh, in the Midlands called Warwick University, and I did actually did English in the theatre. Um, so my... Destiny, I thought, was going to be into the theatre. I wanted to, to go into the theatre.
1: As an actor?
2: Um, I wasn't sure. I mean, I, I think I, I wanted to deep down but wasn't really that confident so was thinking I would probably do stage management. Um but I did so much drama, so much theatre when I was at uni that I kind of thought, you know what, I don't think this is my, this isn't my destiny. I'm, I don't think this is my vocation. And I actually switched one of my um, uh, modules to a, a film course mm. and studied uh, film language, really, which is about th- the theory of film and fell in love with it. Just thought, oh, yeah, this is what I want to do. Mm. I thought it was fascinating and and probably I would have more luck in a way. I thought the theatre was going to be really hard. Um, The film industry, though, is really hard. (laughs) Just in a different way. Yeah, I just jumped out (laughs) of the fire and into the pan or pan and the fire. Um, Yeah, it was... was, um, it was an inspiration, though. To I really knew that the arts was clearly where I wanted to be, had to be, and then it was really finding which pathway. Yeah. But I thought I came to Australia actually as a backpacker, as so many people do, and I was I came out of Thatcher's Britain, which anyone from the UK will know that that was a terrible time <laughs> in our history. And um,
1: I imagine particularly in the creative industries, it was
2: awful. So, right. Awful. It was a really uh, brutal period and, and a very suffocating period. But coming to Australia as a 21-year-old or 22, whatever I was, it was brilliant because... It was sunny in more ways than one. It wasn't just in in the, in the in the sunshine. It was literally the the attitude, and it was uplifting as a community, as a society. It gave you a a go, literally that sort of have a go. It gave you a go, which I hadn't experienced in, growing up in the UK, which is very much a push down sort of society. This is a push up society, and people have talked about the lucky country and talked about sort of a fair go society, and that's certainly what I experienced mm. as a young person coming here. So I just thought, wow, you know, I've I've got to have a go at at this. This is this is a great opportunity, and was just lucky in my in uh, in how I got to stay. Yeah.
1: So what were your plans? When you first got here as a backpacker I was just just going to see travel, as much yeah, as you could and... traveling
2: I was traveling the world I was doing, going to do six months here and then go back to the UK via uh, Southeast Asia and try and start my, my television career in the UK not knowing how I didn't have any contacts I knew no one didn't know a thing um, but the opportunities and because of the attitude here it just just seemed right to, to have a go here. Mm. And I'm really glad I did. It's just been the most amazing experience.
1: How much of the country did you see before you decided to to settle here in Perth?
2: Yeah, no, I went all the way up the East Coast. I did the classic, you know, uh, backpacker, you know, up the East Coast, uh, down the East Coast, (laughs) then across on a plane to Perth to then go up the West Coast, down the West Coast, um, but then got stuck and I'm so happy I did.
1: Yeah. What was it that made you go, okay? This is where I need to be here in Perth because I suppose even if you look at um, the layout of the Australian screen industry, people don't necessarily think of Perth as being uh, a real hive of activity, do they? It it, it is more East Coast based.
2: I'd have to say um, Screen West was a critical, uh, it was actually in those days, this is how how old I am, um, it's called the West Australian Film Commission, um, the WAFC, WAFC. Uh, they gave um, us $5,000 to develop um, a film on the loss of HMAS Sydney. And we called it No Survivors, the Mysterious Loss of HMAS Sydney. And that one decision um, determined um, staying here. It mm. really did. It was wow. like, oh, my gosh, the, there's there's someone who's got faith in us, is going to give us a... Uh, I've never made a film before at that stage. Um, so I didn't have a track record. But they gave us that faith and said yeah have a go have a go write your treatment go and knock on those broadcasters doors and we did we actually got a uh, a pre-sale from as they're called from uh, channel seven at, uh, in that uh, as it was then we actually got it up on channel nine sorry um <laughs> but um it was it was a brilliant experience and it and it just gave us that confidence to say yes we can do this yeah
1: Fantastic. If, if
2: that hadn't happened, like I know, if, if that had not happened, if we hadn't had that that uh, seal of of, of mm. approval almost, then I think I'd be back in the UK.
1: What? And do you ever stop and wonder what you might be up to now? You, is,
2: Total sliding doors. Yeah, you know, sliding doors yep. moment. I I have no idea what I what I would be doing. Um, uh, but I would probably have been in the UK, um, cold, miserable, uh, and having <laughs> still, had COVID. Still
1: trying to push your way up
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly in the
1: push-down world that yeah. it was. Yep. Um, I mean, the HMA of Sydney has been such an intriguing story for, for so long, um, not just in WA, of course, but you know around the country, um, and, and rightly so. What were you actually doing as part of... Telling that story.
2: So I wrote the the treatment and the the script for it and yeah. um, and then went on to co-produce it with a we, we teamed up with a, another production company to make it because it's so difficult. on your first film, I totally recommend. Anyone, if you haven't made a film before, team up with someone who has because it really is a baptism of fire. Um, and that was um, that enabled the film to get up because the financing is probably the hardest part of making any film. Um, and then I'd written... I just knew the story inside out. I'd read every book. I spoke to um, all the major players and just loved the story. Or, I mean, it was a tragic, awful, terrible mm. story, but an absolutely fascinating one um, and just totally gave myself to the story.
1: Yeah. Uh, non-fiction seems to be, you know, where your interest is is mostly presiding. Have you always had a, an interest in that that side of storytelling?
2: I think I must the, have. I the think
1: non-fiction I... rather than the, you know, extravagant works of fiction that are also, you know, often beautifully uh, turned into screen productions.
2: We see, Shakespeare's a big um, influence on, on me, which of course that is non-fiction, but, It's about truth. It's about truth of the human um, experience Um, and that's what uh, Shakespeare did wonderfully in his work was of course, you know, in an incredible way, was uh, being able to explore the human experience, Mm. uh, the human condition. And that's what I do in my work and that's what my colleagues, my fellow filmmakers do um, in the documentary world mm. is that we uh, are constantly exploring the human condition. Uh, so I I don't see them very different. I don't see the drama and the documentaries being very different at all. I think we're all exploring what is it to be a human being and what is truth and how do you get there. And yeah. hopefully we tell stories to help others and our people around us and ourselves of what it is, to, what it means to be a human being and yeah. how difficult it is and how Crazy it is, but um, hopefully there's always some hope at yep. the end of it.
1: I'm sure you get asked this a lot, and just before we go to a break, I'll, and I'll ask you about the, the birth of Prospero Productions after that, but people must ask you what your favourite films are all the time, do they? <gasps> someone oh. someone in your industry of your calibre, is, oh, you know, gosh. what's your favourite show, what's your favourite movie? Maybe. Which must be a, an incredibly... Frustrating question to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Favorite
2: movie?
1: Favorite movie. Can
2: I can I come back to you on that one? I'll have to have a few minutes to think
1: about that one. We'll have have a few minutes break. Okay, I will. (laughs) As we acknowledge our sponsors, and then yeah, if you've got an answer for us after that, well, I would love to hear it. I'd be fascinated. This is Inspiring Stories. Julia Redwood is our special guest. We'll be back with more right after this.
0: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bowra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
1: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. We are hearing from Julia Redwood, who was recently awarded a Western Australian of the Year Award in the business category, and we'll get to your business in just a second, I promise, Julia. But I asked you before the break, you needed some time to think about it. Favourite film, favourite TV show, you don't have to give us just one.
2: Well, but don't what's be, your, you know, what's what's your, your go-to?
1: Your desert island list?
2: Oh well, on on the movie front, I mean, I actually really, I like quite dark films actually, mm-hmm. and I do love Scorsese. So, Godfather Two would be right Classic. up there. Classic. And Hitchcock was always... Uh, I studied Hitchcock as part of that sort of film course I was talking about. And so Psycho would be <laughs> right up there. I know, a bit of a dark mind. Wow. But, so I love the, the love the film craft of Psycho. Um, and in terms of TV drama series, I actually... Well, I just watched Mayor of Easttown, which mm-hmm. I really enjoyed. It's on my list. Things, um, Morning Show. Did you see Morning Show? Yeah. Oh, yeah. love that. Brilliant writing. Yeah. Absolutely superb. And that's, I think... What I look for in a um, in a feature film, but also I think the dramas, the TV dramas that America is doing in particular so well, are, is the writing is yeah. just up yeah. there. It's fantastic. Mm. Good old Sopranos. Maybe I like mafia or something. I don't.
1: Yeah, know. A I'm a bit drawn theme. to that too. I've yeah. got to say, I don't know what that says about you, Julia. But I will leave that to no, you. you. don't want to know. <laughs> so. You've you've come here as a backpacker. You've stayed to work on this uh, project about uh, the HMA Sydney. When did Prospero Productions start to come into your thinking? Well, it, or was that the birth th- of it? That
2: was the birth of it. Mm. So it was literally over a coffee with my business partner at that time, Ed Punchard, and we sat over a coffee in Geno's in Fremantle uh, and said, look, if we're going to do this, let's do this properly, and that means you need to start a production company. Totally naive. Of course. Totally <laughs> stupid. Um, and if uh, – as I say, I have said this before, but if I knew how hard it was going to be, I would never have done it. So, really,
1: though, I yeah. mean, it's, I mean, that's that, that that's something that you
2: ignorance was bliss.
1: hear from people, but but seriously. God, it's...
2: It's hard. Yeah. No, look now.
1: The, the rewards must be there too, yeah, absolutely though. Absolutely. Yeah? Even are. even through the the tough periods, no, or not, is now it now? It's
2: now. Now it's, it's, now good. it's yeah. good. But there are happy periods. <laughs> where you just think, I would just want to be a florist. Yeah. I just want to open up a B and B.
1: Were you time? ever close to just going? I'm done.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. A couple of times. Yeah. Seriously
1: just because it's a struggle
2: it's it's a struggle it's also exhausting it's mm. physically and mentally exhausting um, being a when you're you're not big enough if you like as a business to be able to have that consistency of work and you're literally lurching from one crisis to the next and you know trying to get the next film up and trying to keep the business going um, and borrowing money and getting a second mortgage and a lot of filmmakers do this and it's and it, people a lot of filmmakers are living on the edge all the time mm. um, it's you don't do it for the money so there's a lot of stress and anxiety in our industry which isn't pleasant. Um so once you get to a once you get to a certain size and you have people that can take some of that pressure off you in terms of the workload, then then it's a pleasure. But those early days, those early years were were tough a, going. Tough going, but there's something also completely addictive about what we do yeah. that you don't stop and you do you I literally would have a week's rest Get over it, um, and get on to the next film, yeah. and just fall in love with it again.
1: And, and what's at the heart of that that drug like experience? Is you know, I mean, it's it's one way to describe it, isn't it? But I mean, what is it that gets you hooked? Is it seeing uh, a captivated audience, or is it seeing a story come to life in the way that you'd always imagined? What what is that at the essence of that drug?
2: I think, um, for, for in my field, in the factual field, uh, in documentary, I think it's that privilege. Of telling um, someone's story, I think it's that privileged access that you're getting uh, into someone's life, and that the fact that they have trusted you with that story, and that's a huge honour. And you've got to really have a duty of care and be and treat it with respect. Um, and I've found that always incredibly exciting that that process. Of following a story, you don't know where it's going to go. You know, you start at the beginning, and you hope there's a middle and an end. Um, but if they, at any point, they could just turn around and say, "No, I don't want you to film me anymore," and you, that's the end of your film. Mm. But that's an exciting journey. It's it's totally fraught with with anxiety, but it's it's fascinating. And you, I love the observational. Uh, genre so that's literally following someone around um and watching their life unfold uh through whatever crisis or ups yeah. and downs they might be going and that is an absolute thrill to witness that and be able to then put a film together and then share that film with others mm. and that really is uh what I do and what I love to do and that's the that's how you have to, what you should cherish is I think that's the cherish that as a filmmaker is that privilege Mm. Um, not many people let you in and when they do then if you do it honestly I mean I've had some rogues I've filmed some real rogues and they've been fantastic but when you know when they see themselves on the screen and they go yep that was me that's honest yep that's and then they never regretted being in the series or Mm. being filmed because you're portraying them in an honest fashion yeah And that's the most important thing.
1: Um, You are a writer, a director, a producer, and probably lots of other things as well. (laughs) Business person, (laughs) (laughs) arguably first and foremost. Um, Which of those creative outlets um, have you loved the most over the years?
2: Oh, I I do actually. I mean, it's a pleasure, but I do love it all. I I do like the directing, I have to say. I I, I mean, I, I am, you know... A principal in a company and and that's wonderful and and I do enjoy that. But when I get a a chance to direct, then i that's where I get the real buzz. It's yeah. it's, it's a thrill. and I love the edit suite. It seems weird. you're just in a, a little box with a another person for, for you talk
1: weeks. about people on the edge,
2: yeah, well, what, you know, dark <laughs> a darkened room, you know, just staring at screens totally. But that's where the magic happens, and, yeah. and it's absolutely wonderful that that experience is going through that process of working with an editor which is a skill in itself
1: and those productions that you've been so heavily involved with I mean you know we could go through all of them and talk about some of the awards that you've won over the years and the various accolades that have been you know poured on you Um, which are the ones that you're most proud of
2: um the, the the awards I suppose I Uh, I mean, look, you you can't go past getting the inaugural um, actor award uh, for uh, SAS Search for Warriors for best documentary series. That was a huge thrill. Um, So we were following the um, the uh, the the uh, initiation course to get on actually to get enter into the SAS um, at uh, in Swanbourne there in the barracks. Um, not sure they'd give you access to that anymore. Well, would they? Is, I, well, I, I think they I think they would. Or maybe they would they for would. a, I think a, a it's, bit of positive PR. Um, well, and um, because it really was a positive experience. Yeah. I mean, they were fantastic to work with. Um, and we were very careful how we we did it. Yeah. But the um the the effort again in terms of what those guys had to go through to actually become an SAS, uh to even enter into the the fray was just fantastic um so that was a, an honor to get that that award um and to, we've had a couple of uh, AFI uh nominations uh for the film also um the the first my first film that I directed was called Paying for the Piper which was about the Piper Alpha disaster uh, that was in the UK in 1988, which was a terrible offshore oil disaster that killed 167 people. Um, That won uh, the Golden Spire at uh, the San Francisco Francisco Film Festival. So I was very proud as the first film to to get that. that But it's not really about the awards so much. I, I, I mean, obviously there are absolute bars and they're lovely and it's wonderful as a collective because you never make a film on your own. It's about the whole team, um, it's great that everyone's work gets gets acknowledged, and I think it's just the reward is the film. Mm. You know, is getting the film out there um, and it being seen by an audience. Yeah, um, you want a film that's actually seen. You don't want it just to to slip onto DVD and no one gets to see it. You do want it to go on broadcast television, ideally, mm. and uh, people watch it, and and that means you know, yeah, that's a huge. Proud moment, and we do. We share that moment with everybody that works on the film, from you know the production accountant to the edit assists to to the editors, the cameraman, the sound. There's so many people involved in making a, a, a film um, that everybody shares in that.
1: Yeah. What sort of a director are you? Are you? Someone that
2: uh, <laughs> strives uh, to a perfection ta- at all times. Ask on on the cameraman yeah, and the sound guys for that. What um, would they
1: say about you? Are you a bit of, a, bit of a tyrant when you got the director's hat on? No, I'm, I'm, very, <laughs> I'm
2: very fair, very nice. Um, I hope. Um, yes, I, I. Well, again, you see, you have to when you're when you're a documentary director. It's not about you. It's about your bringing person, someone to life. It's the person yeah. that you're filming. Uh, the subject, the character, whatever you want to call them, it's not about you. You have mm. to really subvert your ego. It goes, and where drama is a different kettle of fish, where actually the, you want the director to be it. You want them to have that ego to drive it and say, this is what I want, this is how it's going to be. Well, that's not the case with documentary. You're always taking a back seat to your subject and they drive the the film. Mm. So you're you're always sort of moving. You have to be very fluid. Um, as an observational uh, director. You can't... Just roll with it. You roll with it and you don't get freaked out when, you know, you hope it goes... They hope, you know, they, it, the story goes left and then it goes right. You just go with it and you think on your feet and you have to be very nimble and don't freak out and just hang in there um, and keep the relationship mm-hmm. with the, pe- the people that you're... or the person that you're filming. If you yeah. lose that, you've lost everything.
1: Um, really exciting time for, for WA, isn't it, uh, with our... Um injection of, of money into the local screen industry, which I imagine you would have been uh, getting the champagne out to uh, to celebrate, although it's still early days. <laughs> have to stress, nothing happens too quickly here. Um, so maybe we'll talk about that uh, right after we take another break, Julia. Julia Redwood is our special guest in this episode of Inspiring Stories. We'll be back with more in just a sec.
0: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
1: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Julia Redwood. We're hearing all about the screen industry, particularly here in Western Australia, which is where Julia has uh, dedicated a huge part uh, of her life towards. Uh, Julia, we've heard recently about this uh, this new studio project that's coming to, to Western Australia, um, a big injection of, of government money, about $120 million or so. Um, what sort of an impact is that going to have? How will that change your life?
2: Look, I, I think it's fantastic. I think it's going to be great for uh, the WA industry. Um, well, I certainly hope it will be great for the WA industry and, and certainly for crew members, so that's um, people like gaffers and grips and uh, costume, makeup, etc. Um, will be great. And I think, obviously, the uh, for the public, that uh, if there are Eastern States films with, with stars coming over here and if Hollywood comes calling, um, having that, Little bit of glitter of gold um, mm. never harms, does it? And it, it would really help, you know, hotels and restaurants, et cetera. I guess um, what I would hope is also a consequence of something as as wonderful <clears> as this is that the WA screen industry also benefits. That's yeah. very important. Otherwise, you're just building a box, yeah, um, and you become back lot for Hollywood. Is that really just a location that yeah. happens
1: to be where they yeah. shot blah blah from Thought whatever it. film? And it might, yeah,
2: I know it doesn't have any you know, cultural or, or any, reason. doesn't resonance. tell our stories. No. And the money yep. goes offshore. So your IP, mm. your intellectual property is owned by Hollywood. Is that really entirely what we want? So I think a little bit of that, but hopefully also a lot of WA screen industry films made there. Um, and that's the wonderful, you know, exciting, obviously mm. I'm a factual, uh, filmmaker film maker largely. And, um, we don't need a studio for. I was going to say,
1: so this, I mean, as a, a place where you could go and shoot things it's probably not I mean you've got it's already there for you, isn't yeah. it? It's it's the it's the outback. It's whatever place you're in. It's yeah. the landscapes already there, right?
2: Yeah, it's it's going to be limited um, yeah. impact, I suspect, for for factual uh, production companies. Yeah. Um. But nevertheless, I would hope that that it would bring that infrastructure, if you like, of an industry, and certainly uh, help bring up um, crews. And that that's what we do with these long running series like Truckers and Opal Hunters, is that we train up our people mm. from within. So we'll have, you know. Edit assists that will suddenly go from an edit assist who literally is, say, logging um, all the footage to being an editor maybe in two, three, four years, which mm. is a really fast-track uh, way of getting into the industry. And that's because they're constantly working and doing the same show, and they get to know how to make a show. Yeah. And that's that's the difference with these sorts of shows. And we're going to need that skill base in Western Australia to service a uh, a studio, so skills are, are going to be a factor, um, and I would like, obviously, that, that to make sure that the WA screen industry can access this this studio and how we do that, how it's managed, is going to be interesting. Yeah, um, how that, that that's set up, because obviously, it's again, if we're shut out because it's too expensive, Hollywood's booked it, mm. um, it. It's not available to West Australian screen industry, so I guess it's it's going to be a challenge to get that model right. There are lots of examples of how not to get it right. Um, Queensland, um, for instance, it's it's just not accept, uh, accessible to... It's too expensive for the... the Because
1: it's become a Hollywood yeah, backlog. that's right. Yeah. yeah
2: so, the, is, you're literally making your Hollywood movies, yeah. which, as I say... Could be
1: could be done anywhere. Could really. be done
2: anywhere. Yeah. Um, so, I hope that we have a different model. That yeah. would be fantastic if we and get...
1: Yeah, I can imagine that... Um you know, from a, a, a PR point of view for, for a government, they would love to be able to come out and say, it's a good headline, isn't it, to say, you know, a, a, a Marvel film is going to be shot here. It, it reads well, doesn't it, for the, for those who don't perhaps fully appreciate the broader consequences.
2: Absolutely. And, and yeah. just knowing that, you know, you're, that if that marvel film does come here that it is actually nurturing what's already here it's sure. not just su- su- sucking yeah. up all our money because the government's going to have to spend money to get that movie over mm. here and as long as un- people understand that and a studio's not going to be self-sustainable it's going to cost the the the, the, the taxpayer Um, but the great thing about our industry is that for every I know this is Screen West's um, statistics for every one dollar invested in our industry you get four dollars back so it's a it's a really good industry to invest in it's a great return Mm, yeah Um, so it's a the multiplier effect on the screen industry is fantastic so it's a really good one for government to uh, to invest in does that sound like a pitch. I think it probably does. A little bit. A little bit like a pitch. Um, just, just give us more money and we'll make you more yeah. money. Which
1: I imagine up. is, is a line that you've trotted out many times over the years, but it's probably a hard sell, right? Cause people don't necessarily associate, uh, creative industries, um, with making lots of money. do they? I've
2: got another fantastic statistic for you here, Go Tim. On, um, for every $1 billion of turnover, um, in the, uh, the coal mining sector, the mining sector, um, it's only about four, I think it's 472 new jobs are created. In the arts and entertainment sector, for every $1 billion of turnover, it's nearly 5,000 new jobs. Wow. It's not bad, is it?
1: That's impressive. It's not bad. Good start.
2: So there, there are, oh, here's another one. Um, <laughs> there are four times more people employed in the arts and entertainment sector than in the coal mining sector. There you go. Not bad. See, Compelling stats. Yeah, yep. And I think I, I love statistics when com, trying to convince people of, of trying to give you money. Yep. I do it, my entire job, most of them my my uh, working life is actually just convincing people to give me money. <laughs> yeah. That's that's what I do. It's quite simple.
1: Well, you must be pretty good at it because you've survived now, you know, with your production company there for thirty odd years. You've just been recognised with an award. Um, tell me about the future. Um, obviously, you've got a fine sense of of, of film making and the craft behind it. Um, we've seen technology play a role. But I mean, in recent years, it feels like there's been all these um, you know ideas for 3D, for instance. Sort of seems to come and go. Um, it's been sort of you know an idea flirted with for decades now. I can remember going as a kid and getting the the red and the blue lens disposable glasses. Um, things like that. Are there new things that that are going to become standard or normal in, in film watching for an audience in the years to come, do you think?
2: I think, I mean, VR is obviously something that has been, is really being uh, looked at in, in many different ways, mm. um, sort of virtual reality, augmented reality, um, certainly the technology in making films, just green screen, how they are using green screen to create whole new worlds, um, is fascinating. I mean, we're fortunate that we've we've actually, um, uh, invested in in dome film technology so we've actually moved into 180 degree screens so that's like um like uh, Sci-Tech. yeah but and, and we've actually have a dome cinema down at the west australian maritime museum they used
1: to have one in at City West too, didn't they? Yeah, I? that's my that's yeah. take. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. And so they're not, largely they've been in museums or they've been in planetariums and they're there for uh, star shows. But now the technology is actually where you can you can see films. So so we've made a film, uh, it's playing at the West Australian Maritime Museum called Whale Superhighway um, and it's following the uh, humpbacks and blue whales going up and down the West Australian coast and it tells the story of a mum and bub um, heading towards Antarctica. Um and with the 180 degrees you're literally immersed in the film it's 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 a phenomenal experience mm. so but you're in an audience so it's not like VR when you're on your own and you know you might be with a bit your scared funky glasses or Yeah on. and you might fall over or you're scared someone <laughs> might come up and you know behind you Yeah you're actually in an audience in a cinema um but your your peripheral vision is completely taken over by the film Uh, and that's quite exciting and we've got a film called Star Dreaming that is, uh, here's another plug Um, Star Dreaming which is going to be launched, it's world premiere is going to be launched down at Cinefest Oz um, on the 25th of August Um, and that it tells an amazing story actually of um, uh, the Yamaji uh, people up in the Midwest region so their star stories obviously they've been stargazing for thousands of years Um, and they have given permission for the SKA, so the Square Kilometre Array Radio Telescope, which is going to be the largest Mm. in the world. Um, And it's how Yamaji stories, star stories, and how the science stories have come together and how scientists are learning from Yamaji and Yamaji are learning from the scientists. And we tell a story about the life and death of stars, how we are all made of stars, and also about the Big Bang Theory. So we go right back in time to yeah. almost 14 billion years ago. Fantastic. Um, but the Yamaji pa- paintings, their art, we also include their their artwork in a very extraordinary way, in a, in an immersive way. So it's quite an extraordinary experience.
1: Excellent. I can't wait to see it. Julia, thank you so much for coming in and sharing some of your story and what we've got to look forward to in the future. It's been fascinating, and congratulations again uh, on being recognised in the Western Australian of the Year Awards. Thank you, congratulations. It's been a thank thank you. you. You've been listening to inspiring stories here on eight eighty two six BR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another inspiring story.
0: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Sorry about the noise. My neighbour's sanding his deck. My motto, don't work on your deck, play on it. Life's good with a Trex deck, low maintenance with a 25-year residential warranty. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.